The CU 2.0 podcast about new style credit union thinking for today, for success tomorrow. Time to move past the old ways. That's what this podcast is about. New thinking, new tools, new technology for success tomorrow. Welcome to the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. That's me. Today we're going to talk about new account opening. Oh, it's a fraudster's playground. In many respects, fraudsters have the edge. They're certainly looking to exploit that edge and steal the money of your credit union. Today's guest, Hoken Nordfeld, head of digital banking at Camalto. He talks about all the new tools that are coming on board to help financial institutions guard against fraudsters exploiting new account opening loopholes. New account opening is a loophole. Don't forget that. But there are ways to help close the gap. For instance, device profiling, multi-factor authentication, biometrics, a bunch of new technologies. Hoken talks about all of these new technologies and how your institution can put them to use to defend itself. This is a fight that's ongoing. It's a fight that's probably going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reality is that there is just so much identity information on the dark web, online. Crooks can know everything about you, 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 you particularly, you individually. They can take that information and attempt to open up new accounts in your name or sometimes in a synthetic name, a synthetic identity account. It's, uh, they have the tools, they have the information. Financial institutions need to fight back. Hoken talks about how to fight back, how to win a lot of the time. What got me interested is this focus on fraud and new account opening, which apparently you think is really a big deal issue to most executives at at credit unions and banks. And tell me why you think it's a big deal and what can be done about it. Uh, If we start uh, with uh, the the issue of uh, new account opening, usually that's where the fraudsters get in, uh, usually where it's uh, more easy for them to, to, to gain the money. Because it is difficult for uh, a bank uh, or anyone to, to verify the identity of, of uh, a new customer. And uh, when they are doing the enrollment, and then hopefully they are doing that uh, remotely, uh, trying to, to file for a credit card or actually opening an, a, a new banking account, that's where we see that uh, there are issues with uh, the identity. We know that most of all uh, my personal data is out there on the dark web. So anyone can get them, they can buy them, they can start to use them. So then they build up an identity about synthetic user, which is then a non-existent user based on real data. Or they get a lot of uh, information around me, and then they take my data to a new bank and open an account in my name. Uh, And before the bank uh, can verify what is happening, they have then asked for a credit uh, and then started using that money. Uh, And obviously, no one is paying it back. So that's the loophole that that we have in the system that's not uh, that no one is aware. Everyone is very well aware. It's more about what we do about it and, and uh, if we see that uh, signing up for a credit card or, or, or a bank should be so easy. So that, but by making it easy, it's also uh, uh, a loophole for fraudsters to, to get in. 
Well, credit unions in particular are impacted by this in the respect that all except for the very biggest really tend to drag their feet in new account opening digitally. The, the Mindset-wise, they still see a customer, a member, presenting themselves at a physical branch and carrying physical identification. And digital account opening tends to take days, possibly even a week, at a credit union, which isn't to say it's any safer. I'm not, I'm not jumping to that conclusion. Now, tell me a bit about what exactly, when you talk about synthetic identity fraud, what, what specifically is that? That is uh, data that you have gathered, uh, usually on the dark web, uh, usually real uh, addresses uh, and uh, data that could be linked to me. Uh, so when you start to create an, uh, a person around it, it looks very real to, to the bank. So they say, okay, but this seems to be to be a real person. And that is when you apply for something online. It's not when you go, obviously, to a credit union and so on, and then you show yourself in person. Because if you go to a, to a, to a bank or a credit union and show yourself in person, most likely that is much uh, safer than, than do it online because you have a more rigorous process. And as you say, it takes days to verify before you, you might have what you want in your hand, a credit card or or even a back opening, while online it goes much quicker. So, so it's just a, another way of, of trying to have partial identity and build it up uh, instead of impersonating someone fully, which is also the case in, 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 uh, in many senses. Which is more of a threat, but, which is more common right now to financial institutions? I don't know, uh, actually, I have to be frank on that one. I don't know which of those two uh, is, is more common. I know both are used, uh, and both are very difficult for a bank to, to verify. Because as, as we say, if, uh, if a bank uh, used a normal system to check me up, uh, me or a synthetic ID, uh, they will verify, okay, uh, all around the person itself, uh, the address and, and, and the name and, uh, and so forth. And when you have done that on data that is already forged, uh, it's very hard to say that uh, it is the actual real user that is behind. And that's what we are seeing when it comes to, to uh, account openings and, and actually uh, theft around account opening. Very uh, difficult to, to, to make sure that it's, it is the real person behind. Extremely difficult. I think it would be difficult in person, too. If, if a fraudster gets a decent quality driver's license in your name, with your address and presents themselves at a, at a financial institution, even in person, it's hard to say that it's not you. I mean, how's the financial institution supposed to know? No, I, exactly. And, uh, but I think the solutions there is, is uh, gaining momentum. Because if you go uh, present a false ID or a real ID, but it's not you, uh, it's up to the clerk that sits behind the desk to see is the, the picture on the, on, the, on the driving license matching the face. But just imagine that you would do uh, two things there. You would have a scanner uh, that actually scans the, the ID to verify that it's actually a genuine ID. So it's not a forged ID, it's a genuine ID. And at the same time, having uh, a camera taking a picture of me presenting the ID and then matching it with the scanned ID. 
because a machine is better uh, than uh, than a human being in seeing that. And I don't know if you read about. Uh, it was interesting. It uh, was actually uh, at the border control in uh, Washington. They had installed a camera when you scan the, the ID or the border control scan the ID. They also matched uh, the face which they then took a photo of with the ID and then they could identify the first guy trying to come in on a false uh, on a false ID or a correct ID but it was not the, it was not the same person and that could be detected this is something that you can easily install in branches so if you want to get rid of that type of fraud which you are very correct in mentioning that it's hard for a UMM being to, to always see the ID matching the face but it can easily be done with uh, with equipment. Is is there any use of, uh, say, internet resources to validate the identity claim? You can do a bit of that. You can do be, uh, do a bit. It maybe not uh, the identity uh, itself directly, as uh, as the person. Uh, it's rather about the devices that you're using, for example. So if the device, if my mobile phone, my PC and so on has been seen in legitimate activities, uh, then that's a, that's a trigger that this looks good. Not for sure it's the person itself uh, who he claims to be, but at least starts to give some certainty that, uh, that it is actually uh, Hocam. That is uh, that is trying to to open an account, uh, and uh, that's one that's one way. When it comes to the next step, would be if you want to use the power internet when you do a remote, what we then would call a remote onboarding. That is, you would use your ID, you would take a picture of your ID, you would take a picture of your face, and you will upload that to a server. And when you do that, you can do the matching of the person taking the, the picture uh, and also of the ID and see if those are matching. And if those two are matching, you can actually be fairly certain that it is the, the genuine person that wants to, to enroll to a certain type of service. So that's a way of using, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Internet for remote en uh, enrollment. So there are ways to do it, too. So when you do it in a branch, you would you would have a, a physical equipment that helps you out. When you do it uh, when you do it remotely, it's your personal devices that can actually help the, the enrollment. So there are ways to improve it, and then you would combine that with a normal check of, of address and name and so forth. From the fraudster side of this equation, it doesn't sound to me like it's a particularly it doesn't require a lot of technical skills to, to be a fraudster in this case. Am I right? When it comes to, if we start with the branch, yes, it will, that would be difficult because you have high, uh, high resolution scanners that actually check the ID and the cameras taking the picture and doing the matching. So at the branch, I think you would, uh, you would benefit of these type of solutions. Uh, when you come to, to your home equipment, it is, not, I would say it's uh, it's as you as you're using your personal device, taking a photo of uh, an ID, you will only get the picture. You will not get uh, the the layers of the ID which you could use in a scanner in the branch. So you would just get a photo, and you will get a photo of your face, and then 
and we all know that uh, yeah, an ID and and you can so uh, actually have something else instead of the genuine user that is behind the fraudster, so to say. He has actually made a 3D model or something more advanced uh, to imitate the face that is on the ID. So yes, it is possible, but it it needs to be more a targeted attack. It's not nothing that you easily mass scale, but if you would go after a very rich person, you would take the effort to do it, but it will not scale to, to the mass market. Well, think about, about people doing ATM skimming. That doesn't scale particularly. It's, it's, uh, it, to me, it's a relatively low-skill way to steal, but it's not a, it's not a difficult way to make five or $10,000 in a weekend. There are plenty of people who find that to be a very attractive proposition. Absolutely, absolutely. So no, uh, you're you're right on that one. So if you take the the, the, the skimming, yes, the, it, it's an easy way to to print money. Hopefully now with uh, with the smart cards out there, uh, the skimming is 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 going down. But uh, when it comes to personal fraud, when you go into fishing for for someone that has a lot of money, uh, then yes, you will take the effort to try to. Uh, to imitate that user in whatever way it takes and, and, and try to steal it. What you prevent with this solution is, is the massive attacks when it's very easy to, to target many people at once. Just imagine the, the data that is out there now and you are not using any of the solutions that I, that I was telling about. It's very easy to get hold of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, 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 of stolen uh, IDs and then just test and then you, you get lucky and then you get in and you can open an account or you get into a person's account and can steal those money. So you can automate it more. When you go to the, to the attack on, on one person, yes, you need to know more about that person and you need to take that effort. So I think we are, as an industry, in the right way uh, of, of increasing the security. We are not there yet, but we are, we, we are getting there. And the more uh, barriers we put up, the more sophisticated the, the end user needs to, or the, the fraudster needs to be. So having said that, uh, you can fake the, the, the ID. Uh, you can also fake the, the face when you do that matching. But if you remember what I said before, is it a device that we've seen before used by that end user or seen uh, doing transactions? Because we can know about the device. Uh, then we can also make the matching. Ah, the one that uh, claims to be to be Hawker, he do not have any of the devices that we've seen related to Hawker before. Uh, that's not a good. That's not a good sign. So maybe we should do additional checks. That's also a way of how we combine what we know about what the end user has in possession uh, compared to who he claims to be. And if you can do that matching, you start to 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 make the the barrier higher and higher for the force to decline. Now, some of this has been in use for at least a few years. I remember a, a fairly large bank telling me that at certain moments in time, depending upon what their intelligence was telling them, they would look at devices and stop transactions because the device seemed, was set to, let's say, Moscow or St. Petersburg time. And particular user was based in the United States of America and to their knowledge had never been to Russia. So that was an immediate red flag. And what they did was they just flashed up a message on the screen, hey, 
to complete this transaction, you have to call 1-800-whatever-the-phone-number was. So they weren't convinced that the person was a criminal, but they certainly weren't convinced that it was the person, if you follow me on that. Absolutely. And no, that, that's, that's the case. Yeah, please, please. And that was at least a few years ago when this bank was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that has been around for a while. And I think many of the solutions that, that we see today has partially or fully been, been in use. I think what we are seeing is the combination of, uh, of solutions now. Because what you were describing uh, is something uh, that can prevent part of what we are discussing or can be a first alarm vector. But all of these solutions can also be uh, mitigated from a fraudster perspective. You can, you can go around them if they are... Oh, yes, sure, sure. If you, a, if you read that as, article, as a, if, you, one. if you read the article I write, you say, oh, fine. This guy lives in Texas. I'm going to set my clock to Dallas, Texas time. Cool. Mm. You, know, you know, fool the bank. Exactly. It's really no harder exactly. than that. So it's... Uh, no. So it's, it's more about the, when it came, it definitely stopped fraud. And then the fraudster starts to learn. Uh, and then you put another solution in place and the, and the process starts to learn. It, it, I think the power uh, comes when you start to combine it because then it starts to be harder and harder to find ways to, to mitigate and, and go around it. And that's what we are seeing. We can also say that uh, when you start to know an end user, uh, and that's maybe after you have uh, opened an account, you can start to learn about their behavior online. You can start to learn how they actually use uh, their PC or their mobile and, and how the keystroke dynamics and so on. So you learn much more about the end user. That per se, as a single solution, might not stop all the fraud, but in combination with what we said about knowing about the device, knowing about the end user, having a special uh, way of opening uh, accounts remotely, then you start to, to to have a powerful solution in your hands. And I think that's what banks uh, and, and, and credit unions are, are looking at. It's, it's always, it's a little bit of a race. Uh, how quick can you put up the barriers uh, and how quick will, will the fraudster learn and, and, and try to find a new way to, 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 to fraud the bank and the end users? Well, I think new account openings are a specific intriguing phenomenon. So my, my credit union knows a lot about me. They have device profiling. They have uh, a sense of what my location generally is. They have multi-factor authentication. All of that's set up. So they ought to be able to decide really pretty quickly if this is me attempting to do a transaction. If it's a new account opening, they don't know any of this. They couldn't, it's not possible. I don't have a history with them, which means that we have to shift to some other things, like uh, where, do biometrics figure into this, for instance? Yeah, I think I, I come back again uh, on the account opening. You need to, you need to be able to, as you say, verify the identity because when you are new to the bank, they don't know you. We can know things, as we said, we can know things about uh, the equipment that you have been using, the devices, the mobile, the, the PC. But then it comes back to how well can you present yourself uh, for that bank, either in the branch or remotely. But if we, if we speak purely about the remotely, uh, I think that uh, 
doing that, presenting your ID, presenting your face, and, 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 and having that uploaded to the bank and, and, and doing some checks on that is, is a good first step and, and, and a good first step, step of, of knowing you. Uh, then I know uh, it's up also to the risk appetite of a bank to, to say, a credit union or a bank to say, would I allow that or not? Because we know there are ways to fraud it, but we will also know many of the genuine users, uh, they will easily be identified with it. So, so account opening is, and I think that's why uh, we pointed out that to be a special risk for, for banks, because as you said, uh, they start to know a lot about you. They lot start to know a lot about you when you are a customer. And we've put up the barriers fairly high on, on, on that side. Uh, and then uh, you need to find another way to, to, to fraud the bank when you're a fraudster. And the account opening is uh, a gap we haven't, uh, we haven't been able to close yet. Uh, working on it as an industry, uh, but still there, there, there are opportunities. Uh, and then if we say, uh, when it comes to the biometrics, that's not, that's not an easy, easy gain either, because to be able to use your biometrics, apart from the, what I said, the, the ID matching with the face, because then you upload it just at that very moment. To be able to use the biometrics, we need to have a biometrics database. If you would have a biometric database with fingerprints, for example, or face, then you could use that, which would be fairly powerful. We've seen that in a few countries where they use it, uh, and unless it's, uh, it's polluted, it, it, is a strong, it is a strong way of doing the first enrollment. So I agree with you, if we had our biometrics uploaded to a server, then you could do that matching. Doing that, upload it to a server, then you come into other questionable uh, discussions. So how do you keep the biometrics safe? Because just imagine you lose all the fingerprints, then that's polluted and you can never use it again. So you need to keep it very safe to be able to, to, be able to use it. But it is a powerful tool and it would help many banks to, if they had uh, the opportunity to, to, to use a central database for, for, for biometrics. Yeah, I, I agree. And I understand that a shared database would be very powerful. I, I don't see the big institutions like Wells Fargo, which has a lot of uh, eyeball information. I don't see them opening that up to third parties. There would be risks, and then what would the reward be? Probably not enough in their mind at this point in time. No, I, I agree, because otherwise they would have done it, because that's, uh, they could have collected uh, biometrics data when you sign up in a branch or anytime you come into a branch and, and, and start to use that, and they could have cross-chat between the banks. But as you say, the gain is, is, is probably not even close to the downside it could be. Yeah. Now, have you looked at all? I'm, you're reminding me as we're talking. I, I've talked a few years ago with a fellow, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the company, where their specialty was uh, helping financial institutions identify attempts of synthetic fraud in used car loan applications, which, according to this guy, was a huge business. And it's not a bad business. If you can go in and get, say, an $18,000 used car with a totally bogus identity, and let's say you sell it quickly at 12000 that's that's a lot of money for really a few hours' work. Yeah, exactly. Have, have you looked into, into that particular phenomenon? About uh, using identities for for, for, for uh, Use, whatever service that you... 
used car loans or really any loan. Yeah, the, the, uh, yes, we have uh, indeed because when it comes to the rental car market and shared car market, you have the same problem uh, because companies are now setting up fleets where they want to to be able to to rent easily and also have uh, shared uh, shared cars, and then you need to to remotely or you need to onboard customers on that too, which definitely have exactly the same problem. If you get in someone that, that has uh, falsified uh, documentation, you will have the same problem. They take the car and they sell it. So this is something, uh, this is something that, that we are definitely uh, working on because it's not only banks that have the problems with, uh, with the identities or when you enroll to, to a certain service. It, it goes across the industry. And if you if you find a way there to to show false uh, false ID, you can take uh, you can take great, great benefits of it. So I think uh, when you when you are addressing a certain segment, you can easily apply it on the, on on other segments that have uh, has the same challenges. So yes, uh, if we would solve the if we would solve very well how to do an uh, onboarding for uh, remotely for banks or for credit unions you could easily apply it uh, into the, the the rental car market or used car market as well as into the telecom industry same well, challenges that applies for them as, as you said the the interesting phenomenon here is that the crooks keep getting smarter too it's as financial institutions improve their their techniques the crooks tend to respond and learn I'm not saying the crooks therefore have an, the advantage in the fight, but they certainly are equal competitors, I believe. Yeah, because if you are uh, if you are a fraudster, you, you you look at where do you have the, the least resistance to to actually gain your money, and if you can apply the same method through through across industry, you're probably not behind at all in your knowledge how to apply it. You you might even be advanced as a fraudster because. You are looking at it from from a perspective to to gain money in an easy way, while a certain segment only look mainly for themselves and see their 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 problems and try to solve them. So so I would say it's not it's not that fraudsters are keeping up; they are some sometimes also leading, uh, and 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 we need to we need to keep up. No, I agree. I mean, some of those those. Uh... There were ATM gangs that were extremely well organized, much, much better organized than community banks and credit unions in terms of defenses. Um, not necessarily better organized than the, 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 the big money center banks, which tended to be very good at uh, self-defense. But there are a lot of very smart criminals out there. Before we go... The CU 2.0 podcast is looking for a few good sponsors to help us spread the word about the digital transformation of credit unions. You could be one of them. Contact Robert McGarvey for details at rjmcgarvey at gmail.com. First come, first served. Again, that's rjmcgarvey at gmail.com. Now for a word from our sponsor. Are you looking to recapture members, increase your margins, live your mission? QCash is what you want to know about. That's because QCash delivers a fully automated, small-dollar, short-term credit solution that allows credit unions to meet members' short-term cash needs. 
Accuso. It's dedicated to helping credit unions build financial stability and health for its members. Check out QCash at QCash.com. The CU 2.0 podcast about new style credit union thinking for today for success tomorrow. Time to move me past the old ways. That's what this podcast is about. New thinking, new tools, new technology for success tomorrow.